Emmett Till, Sean Bell, Troy Davis, Devin Brown, Abadou Diallo, Oscar Grant, Trayvon Martin, and now Kendrick McDade. Time now for black men to stand their ground. I want to see you at the town hall meeting at the Tabernacle at Faithful Central Bible Church. Hi, this is Pastor Logan, co-moderator of the second hour of the KJLH town hall meeting this Saturday, March 31st, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Faithful Central Bible Church in Inglewood, California. Come in person or hear it live at Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. Let's not just talk about it, let's be about it. We've got to stop the list from growing. I don't know who called open season on black men, but it's time for black men to stand their ground. Stand with me, Pastor Lewis Logan, to be there and be about it. Don't miss the KJLH Town Hall Meeting. Black men standing our ground, just as for Trayvon. This Saturday, March 31st, 8 to 11 a.m. at Faithful Central Bible Church, 321 North Eucalyptus in Inglewood. Be there or hear it live, live. on Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. The following is an editorial from Radio Radio Free 102.3 KJLH, live from the Faithful Central Bible Church Tabernacle in the city of Inglewood. I'm Dominique DePrima. I feel like it's a weekday because we're coming together to talk about the issues just like we do on front page every early morning. But so many things are going on in our community and nationwide. The KJLH felt like it was time to step up and stand up. So many of us have been marching, talking, crying, thinking, phone calling, and petitioning around the issue of Trayvon Martin. And of course it's not anything new because many of us have taken up these issues locally for the many local issues and many local people we've lost in eerily similar situations. But we wanted to set the record straight on Trayvon Martin. We've brought you some incredible panelists to do so. Later today, uh, just an hour away, you'll be talking with um, Minister Tony Muhammad and Louis Logan and we'll be focusing on solutions, what we can do. Right now we want to clarify the case of Trayvon Martin. I want to introduce a very distinguished panel this morning. We have um, author, civil rights attorney, and activist Connie Rice. She is one of our treasures here in Southern California and she is the director of the Advancement Project in Los Angeles. Welcome Connie Rice. Another LA native, uh, also I probably didn't say attorney, but she's that. Los Angeles uh, native Brian Dunn is a partner in the Cochran firm, Los Angeles. He has been fighting uh, cases like Trayvon Martin for years, and we welcome him. He is uh, representing the Cochran Firm, but also himself, Brian Dunn. Good morning. And you know this next guest, he's headed the Urban League and numerous other civic organizations. Uh, he is an icon in our community and currently serving on the Los Angeles Police Commission. He's been a tireless advocate for better handling of police profiling cases. Please welcome John Mack. And we also have Deputy District Attorney, Attorney Major Crimes Division, uh, Robert uh, Grace is joining us. Please welcome him. Okay, so the first thing I would like to do is kind of a little bit set the record straight about what happened in the Trayvon Martin case. Uh, we know that he was killed uh, February 26th, but after that, you know, you hear conflicting reports. Uh, we know that his 
killer, admitted killer, George Zimmerman, has not been arrested yet, even though there's been more than two million people signing a petition at moveon.org. There have been countless marches across the country. And Brian Dunn, I wonder if you could start there, since this could easily be a case that you could be litigating. Is this unusual for the guy not to be arrested? I mean, we know he was a self-proclaimed neighborhood watch. We know Florida has a stand down, uh, stand your ground law. It should be the stand down law. Um, is this unusual? Uh, thank you very much, Dominique. Uh, the only thing that's really unusual about this case is the fact that people are finally paying attention to what has been going on for years and years. I'm in my 17th year of practice, and I can count on one hand uh, the type of case that has generated this level of public uh, public uh, attention and that has uh, uh, attached itself to the consciousness of the nation. Uh, you may remember the case of Devin Brown. Uh, that's probably uh, the last case in the Southern California region uh, that has literally attracted national attention. Uh, and this is a phenomenon that's been going on for years. Uh, specifically, what we have in Trayvon's case is an application uh, of deadly force against an unarmed individual uh, that wasn't committing a crime and was lawfully where he was supposed to be. Now that may sound like an unusual fact pattern, uh, but as an attorney we get several cases like that every year. I'm sure that Mr. Mack, uh, as through, through his role with the Los Angeles Police Department and the Los Angeles Police Commission can talk about several of these cases as well. Uh, but I think that when, we talk, when we're starting to talk about Trayvon Martin, what we're seeing is not only uh, by your presence here, uh, but by the national outcry, uh, people are getting tired uh, of this phenomenon. And I think that that cannot be understated uh, because this kind of thing happens all the time. But now I think people are starting to stand up and realize that this is not something that can keep going on. So on that level, Dominique, this is different. It's different because people are paying attention, because people are marching, and I think maybe critical mass. Uh, Connie Rice, I want to ask you, because now that's maybe the criminal perspective. From a civil rights perspective, the uh, stand your ground law is spreading across the country. Uh, this castle, these castle laws where you can just kill people if they come to your house. Is this a, a tide turning, or are we, gonna, are we being swept over by a new kind of Wild West mentality where you can just kill someone? It's too early to tell, Dominique, and uh, I think that what we, the most effective thing that we can do at this point is Yes, we do need to examine the stand-your-ground laws. I don't think that kind of law will pass in California, but you never know, because if we could have a tenth of the power of the gun lobby, we'd have, we'd, we'd have fixed a whole bunch of stuff by now. The stand-your-ground law says that the normal duty to retreat, to de-escalate, to reduce conflict and, and the likelihood of a fight moving on to something that's deadly, under normal law, if you are confronted in a situation, even if it's in your house, or rather if it's not in your house, but it's near your house, you have a duty to back up and dial it down. It's called the legal duty to retreat. Then if they keep coming at you, you can then defend yourself. 
The stand your ground law says you don't have to retreat. Now, I think it's a little bit of a red herring, Dominique, because even under the kind of crazy stand your ground laws that have triggered and licensed and kind of put jet fuel on confrontations, folk carrying guns to the library and all this kind of stuff, I don't get it, but apparently these folks need to have their guns with them at all times. Even with a stand-your-ground law, stand-your-ground doesn't give you a license to hunt. And so, so, so in my mind, Dominique, the stand-your-ground law is kind of irrelevant here because I don't even think Florida judges are going to find that the stand-your-ground law played a role. You do not get to be told by a, a, a 911 operator, please don't pursue this. We don't want you chasing anybody. And by the way, neighborhood watch and block watch, you're not allowed to carry a gun. It is against the law for a neighborhood watch unit to arm its folks. You can't do that. So just start with those facts, and you can see why folks are upset. And, Dominique, the last thing that I would say is that, and we'll get back to this because I think this panel is a fantastic panel for, for us to kind of figure out how to be most effective, not to be most angry, mm-hmm. which is perfectly understandable, but let's follow Mrs. Martin. Mrs. Martin has been the picture of strength and firm insistence on justice for her murdered son, but listen to what she said just on this Thursday. I am dialing it back. We have achieved what I want, which is investigations. I want to let justice proceed. Let's follow Mrs. Martin. Absolutely. Bobby Grace, I want to ask you, you know, <laughs> I know this test being the representative of the uh, district attorney's office, but why wouldn't you charge someone like that? I mean, everyone's saying it's because, you know, perhaps because his father is a magistrate, perhaps because, uh, you know, he's known in the community, or maybe it's just plain old-fashioned southern racism. Why wouldn't you charge him? At least with something impeding a police investigation, hold the guy. If you're, if you're worried for his safety, wouldn't you want him in custody anyway? Well, I think um, Connie Rice touched on it perfectly when she said that we need to look at what the investigation was. So, and and John Mack can attest to this, you cannot proceed as a, uh, from a law enforcement or a fair administration of justice um, perspective unless you've done a thorough investigation. But people get arrested and held all the time for for jaywalking, for taking a pizza, for... Right. But... But the point being is, is that everyone wants to see that justice is done. So the arrest, whether he's arrested or not, really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Because everyone knows about bail. If he got arrested, he could immediately bail out, particularly if he was not arrested on a charge of murder. But at least it would seem like there was some fairness or some equal right. application. And, and I think that's what people are really concerned about is that it does not appear that there was a fair administration of justice. And when I talk about it, I say there's the actual fair administration of justice and there's the perception. 
And so clearly here, we don't have a perception of justice being done. But what you would like to have seen, Dominique, you would have liked to have seen that a thorough investigation was done before anybody reached any conclusions. And so it appears here that the Sanford Police Department and the State Prosecutor's Office didn't have all the facts before they drew legal conclusions. And so what you want to make sure is that a thorough investigation is done and then draw legal conclusions. Then you might see an arrest. Then you might see them charged. What I want to see is that they do a thorough investigation and then go to the grand jury and put people under oath and then see what they have to say at that point. Because right now we've heard too much speculation in yeah. the media about what people yeah. said and what they didn't say. Absolutely. John Mack, I want to bring you in here. Um, John Mack, of course, with the Los Angeles Police Commission. And you've been working before you were on the Police Commission through the Urban League just tirelessly on this issue of profiling. And I believe it's one of the reasons the case of Trayvon Martin has sparked such a nerve is that this is an issue in every community throughout the country. We kind of saw a milestone here in Los Angeles. Uh, with, with the um, finding uh, against the officer who was profiling Latino um, drivers, Patrick Smith. Uh, do, do you think this is just a matter of critical mass? Do you think, you know, as L.A. goes, the nation follows? What's your perspective of where we are on this issue of profiling? Well, the reality is that um, profiling is a reality. As, as, you, as we've all listened and watched uh, and followed the, uh, the, the, this particular case involving George Zimmerman, uh, there, were, there were some comments that he made on that 911 call, which clearly, to me, indicated he was profiling. Here's this young black man in who up to no good and uh, of course there's you know there's some spec some debate is whether or not he used profanity and called him a coon and all of that but even setting that aside it seems to me that this was a classic example of um, this this guy looking at this young black male and and deciding that he didn't have any business being there he, he was in the wrong place. He was in the wrong neighborhood. He had the hoodie on. And it's kind of interesting because I was just watching uh, last night, I think it was CNN, it was Soledad O'Brien had a special on. Uh, maybe I'm confused. I've been watching so much stuff. But they, they had examples of different kinds of people wearing hoodies. They had a young black brother wearing a hoodie. They had uh, Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, wearing a hoodie, and he's, he's viewed as a hero. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I think that we, you know, we've, we've maybe made some progress, but, but the reality is that we still live in a climate where race is a factor. Now, there's some folk who would like to feel that we're beyond race, we're not beyond race. Uh, so my, my thought and, and my challenge is that we, we must remain vigilant. And certainly we shouldn't see race, uh, a race, a racist behind every, every rock, every bush. I mean, I, I think we need to look objectively at the facts on a situation. But clearly in this particular situation, uh, 
this Zimmerman profiled this young African-American male because he was black and in a hoodie. And the reality is that we have hundreds, if not thousands, throughout America where you have these kinds of examples. And certainly from a law enforcement perspective, getting back to an earlier point you made, um, I can't get into any detail because of the police officer's bill of rights and the process is still going on. There's something, even though chief, uh, there was an investigation conducted involving this uh, LAPD officer by a constitutional policing unit, uh, which was established uh, in 19, uh, 2010, frankly, after a tremendous amount of pressure that was applied by myself and the police commission, uh, upon the department to really get serious about uh, profiling. Number one, developing professional protocols, investigative protocols. And so this was step number one. And, and when LA, this goes back to late 2009, really going uh, back to former Chief Bill Bratton uh, before he left. As a result of a lot of back and forth discussion and pressure, step one, was the department established a set of very, very carefully prepared, well thought out investigative protocols. Step two, a constitutional policing unit was established of some of our most talented professional uh, detectives who investigate allegations of uh, racial profiling by officers. And once that, and in this particular instance, that's what took place, and then ultimately the results of that investigation were presented to Chief Charlie Beck, who uh, sustained the uh, complaint. Now the next step is there's something called a Board of Rights, where you have two captains and a civilian who will ultimately uh, either uh, agree or disagree with the chief's decision. The chief cannot unilaterally fire somebody, even if uh, he has found that the officer is guilty. I don't want to get too much involved in, in the weeds here, but looking at the bigger picture, the reality is that racial profiling, I think, happened in Sanford by George Zimmerman, who was a, a wannabe cop, and as, as more and more information comes out, this guy had no business being in anywhere close to being a part of a neighborhood watch. Seems like he was not emotionally stable and has already been indicated by uh, uh, Brother Dunn. Uh, you know, he didn't have any business with a gun. Uh, so there are a lot, of, a lot of things that went wrong here. But the reality is that in this particular instance, uh, George Zimmerman decided that Trayvon Martin was uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time because of the color of his skin. Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. We are live at the Faithful Central Bible Church, the Tabernacle in Inglewood. Black men standing our ground, justice for Trayvon Martin. This is panel number one. We'll be joined by Pastor Louis Logan and Minister Tony Muhammad, who are in the house uh, and just not too far ahead, and we'll have uh, continuing conversation. Connie Rice, I want to ask you, Attorney Connie Rice, you, you have talked about you know not being effective, not being angry. You've also talked about... The concept of profiling a, an individual versus profiling a community. Explain what you mean by that and what can we do about it. Yes, uh, Dominique, <clears throat> excuse me. I think what we heard from Commissioner Mack, who's been the president of the police commission and I think is 
one of the catalysts, the key catalysts. We have a changed police department. This is not Daryl Gates' police department. We've got a long way to go. But we need to thank John Max for leading that charge. <laughs> It's been a long, long road. We had Johnny Cockert and Brian Dunn and, and <clears throat> the NAACP uh, fighting the lawsuits. It's very important that we back our prosecutors. I know that sounds strange, but this part of the criminal justice system, and we've got to make that system work for everybody, including our young black men. And the bottom line is that when we talk about profiling, so let's not get too focused on some, let, let's, let's really hone in on what we're objecting to. Mr. Mack is absolutely right, insisting on protocols that make sure that when cops do make a decision, that it isn't on a presumption of guilt based on the fact that they don't think a black kid belongs somewhere and then have it escalate and result in this kind of situation where you have a dead child who's carrying Skittles and a can of iced tea. So, but let's be very clear. Cops are going to profile. Focusing on the profiling, what Mr. Mack is talking about is the kind of profiling that is really discrimination based on pres invalid presumptions. I'm presuming that he doesn't have any business walking in between those rows of town halls, those townhouses, and therefore uh, I, I get to follow him with a gun. But if we focus too much on profiling, because let me be honest, I profile every man I meet. I have to profile every man I meet. I got to decide, is he like my daddy or is he like the Green River Killer? Okay? <laughs> so, so. Let, let's see, and I've profiled all the gentlemen up here, and they're very much like my father, all right? <laughs> they're fine. But, but so, so profiling is going, every cop profiles. And every cop has to look at the behavior in front of him or her and determine, is this a threat to, to public safety? That's okay. What isn't okay is sitting down and looking for men with cornrows. What isn't okay is looking for Latinos in old trucks and pulling them over just because they have an old truck and they look Hispanic. It's not okay that because Harry Belafonte and, and Ms. Shabazz were in Bel Air that the, Bel Air, the Beverly Hills police pulled them over because they didn't look like they belonged. That kind of profiling is discrimination. It's discrimination and it's an abuse of the Fourth Amendment. That's what, so, so let's go after that kind of... When I say that everybody profiles at an individual level, that does not excuse the kind of profiling we saw in this case. And please understand, there is a difference between a cop, no matter what color they are, stopping somebody because they think something's going wrong. I have interviewed hundreds of cops, maybe thousands of cops at this point, and I ask them, and what they will tell you is that the policing that's done in South L.A. is not the same policing that's done in West L.A. And that's what I mean by community profiling. A lot of us have profiled different communities because there are different conditions in different communities. And those conditions make the cops react differently. And I'm talking about black cops. Okay? 
So cops of all colors are going to see a, a community with a much higher crime rate. They're going to react differently in that community to everybody. So what I'm asking for here, I'm not trying to bore everybody to tears, but what I'm asking for here is to let's confront the complexity Let's get really clear on what we're objecting to. And let's follow Mrs. Martin for this reason. She's being extremely effective. I don't expect you to let go of your anger. I'm angry too. What I expect us to do is to put that in check and get really professional and cold-eyed about this so that we don't end up with injustice again. Radio Free 102.3 KJLH, black men standing our ground, justice for Trayvon Martin. We're live. We're at the Faithful Central Bible Church, the Tabernacle at 321 North Eucalyptus Street in the city of Inglewood. We have a great crowd here already. We're so happy to see you here. And there's more room for you. If you're on your way, come down. We will be here broadcasting live until 11 o'clock. I want to ask you, Brian Dunn, Attorney Dunn of the Cochran Firm, because we've talked about this before on the front page. Well, first of all, we look at the, the case of uh, the shooting of Kendrick McDade uh, in Pasadena, the Citrus College student uh, who was gunned down after a 911 call. Then the 911 caller was arrested. Uh, the police saying that he lied just today. They've released the names of those officers. Turns out they are white officers, black man down. We. The officers, the police department, uh, the police chief there, Chief Sanchez, said, well, they were told by the 911 caller that, the, that there were two guns. Turned out there were no guns. So my, my question is two-part. Number one, you know, how do, what is the responsibility here? I mean, yes, the 911 caller has been arrested, but as the attorney uh, for, for McDade said on my show, it, he didn't pull the trigger. Number one. And number two, what advice do you give to parents and young people about how to conduct yourself in these type of situations, whether it's a wannabe neighborhood watch person or a police officer, so that you are safe and protected? Well, that's, that's a great, great question, uh, Dominique. And what I have to tell you is that if you look at it from my perspective, uh, I've been doing these cases for 17 years now. I can almost tell you what's in a police report when a black man is killed without even looking at the police report. He made a furtive gesture, he reached into his waistband, fearing for my life, I fired a round, fearing for my partner's life, I discharged two rounds, and he had a cell phone or nothing or a uh, box of candy. I had a kid with a Bible once in his hand that got killed. But the thing is that you don't know about it. I mean, and you know about Trayvon Martin, but you don't know about Stephen Washington, the autistic boy who was just killed. You don't know about Woodrow Player, uh, who was running from the deputies uh, without a gun in his hand and got shot ten times in the back. You don't know about Derek Collins, who got shot in his own in his own uh, driveway. Uh, because of all of these same things. You might know about Manny Loggins, the Marine that was just killed out in uh, Orange County uh, with his two daughters in the car. Uh, but you know about Trayvon Martin. Uh, but what you have to realize is that as black men, we do not live in the same world as anyone else. And that... It, it, the, the concept is that uh, Zimmerman is not a cop, but cops never get prosecuted. And it really doesn't matter what happened. They will always say, 
He made a furtive gesture. He reached into his waistband. Fearing for my life, I discharged two rounds from my service weapon. And that, that's almost a script that they're trained to say. And why are they trained to say it? Because it works. They don't get prosecuted criminally. There's even a lot of jurors. Most jurors out there will still give them the benefit of the doubt. But it doesn't matter. We're just as dead. Point. And my suggestion is, if you are a black man or you, or you have custody of a young black man, and that black man has an encounter with an officer, you have to immediately understand that that is a life or death situation. It's not uh, the same. If you decide you're going to talk back, that's fine. But once that level gets raised, the officer will always raise it higher. If you talk to him, he's going to hit you with a baton. If you run, he's probably going to try to tase you. And if you run long enough, he's going to pull out that gun and shoot you in the back. And the question is, is it fair? No, it's not fair. But I tell every young man I see, put your hands up with ten fingers showing. Say, yes, sir, no, sir, speak slowly and deliberately and survive and that's something that we need to tell ourselves because it's, there's nothing to be gained by winning that if you run they will beat you up or worse if you talk back they will beat you up or worse and if you are in the wrong place at the wrong time and you even flinch uh, you're gonna have uh, I'm gonna be meeting with your mother in the living room with candles outside the door for all the wrong reasons. And I just don't think as a community we have truly wrapped our arms around how easy it is to get killed by the police. And we have to truly, we have to do that because every mother, and it's funny, I'm looking at Minister Tony Muhammad, and we had the case of Devin Brown, and Minister Logan and Mr. Muhammad got this community angry about that shooting. It was a young man that got shot out in 2005. 13-year-old. Yeah. Really a child. 13 years old. Yeah. And really his mother said the Not same thing that every mother says, please, please don't let this happen to another mother. Please do everything you can. And what I'm trying to tell you is we have to understand that the police officer always brings a gun to the encounter. And, and, and Attorney um, Dunn, you have said to me, if you want to talk back, talk back later through your attorney. Exactly. During the encounter, you put your hands up. If you want to talk back later, talk back later through your attorney, through your complaint to the Inspector General, through your complaint to the Police Commission. John Mack, I want to bring you in here because I don't want it to seem like we're just bashing officers. I mean, yes, we understand. Officers are in danger. They have a dangerous job. They have to make split-second decisions. But at the same time, we have to protect our children. As a mother, I don't want to feel like I have to be in fear for my child's life. And it is true, as Attorney Dunn points out, we have a double standard. We have to tell our children to do this. Put your hands up and spread the fingers. Other communities don't. It's not fair. Will I do it? Yes. I, my, I don't want my baby to die. The question is, you mentioned that this, this landmark profiling uh, decision that we've seen, which is still in process here in L.A., was a large degree brought by the pressure brought by the police commission. So how do we as a community support 
that. And people, some people say it's not effective to march, it's not effective to rally, it's not effective to have town hall meetings. I disagree. I think a lot of what's happened with Trayvon and Justice is because of the marching and, and, and rallies like this. But from your perspective as a commissioner, and, and you work with cops, how can we be supportive and respectful of the hardworking officers that are doing good work, but at the same time push the envelope for justice and a change where we don't have to have these double standards and live in fear? Well, um... First of all, I, I, I agree with uh, Brian. I mean, I think, yeah, put your hands up don't, yeah, to, the, to the young brothers out there. But to your, to your question, first of all, you know, I agree with much of what has been said regarding police officers, but um, I would also point out that we have uh, 9,963 sworn Los Angeles police officers. And uh, as Connie Rice appropriately pointed out, no question about it, the policing uh, is, is going to be the way our communities policed in South Bureau or South L.A. is going to be different than West L.A. I mean, that's, that's a reality for a lot of reasons. But I, I, would, I think it's important for us to not label every cop as a racist, it's important for us to recognize that actually we've come a long way. I'm kind of in a unique position. For many years, when I headed the Urban League, I was out there with a lot of folk, including uh, Brother Muhammad and Brother Logan and others, uh, and Connie Rice, frankly, fighting uh, LAPD and its racism, its brutality, its op operating like an occupation force. Uh, in our community, you know, I'm thinking particularly of going back to the Darrell Gates era. But quite frankly, there has been a change, a transformation in many ways in this Los Angeles Police Department I think we need to recognize. Uh, community policing is a major, major focus. Connie Rice, through the Advancement Project, has worked very closely with Chief Beck in the department, forging different and better relationships, ex-gang members working uh, as intervention uh, specialists, working with LAPD officers in South L.A. Once upon a time, you could not get either one of them to sit down and even speak to each other because there's mutual distrust, mutual hatred, mutual hostility, and all of that. But now they are talking to each other, working together. And, 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 and the brothers out there are not snitching. They're not selling out the community in any way, but they're helping to keep the peace. You see more and more examples now of officers, frankly, working with members of our community, not seeing every one of us as, as a criminal. So that's the good news, or the encouraging news. And there's something else we need to point out. Seventy-five percent, today's LAPD force is a very different police force. Seventy-five percent of today's cops were not around when Dower Gates was, was, was the chief. Most of the command staff, there's been major turnover. Now, the good news is they don't bring that baggage, that history. But the challenge is that we have a, a, a large number of young gung-ho officers, some of them are macho, we have to help them understand, you know, how to police. 
and this this is important to be done to, during the training process. Certainly, the management and supervision uh, supervisory level. Chief Charlie Beck's number one priority is what he calls constitutional policing. That is to police communities and individuals with respect and not to violate people's constitutional rights uh, in the process. So, you know, I'm, I'm frankly encouraged, you know, as I look at where we were 20 years ago as opposed to where we are today, this is a very different police department. Having said all of that, I really don't disagree with, you know, essentially what's been said before. The reality is that when you have a situation where most of these officers don't live in our community, they live far away, they, they come from all levels of society, they bring their individual biases, you know, just as we all do. So we have to we have to work with that and have them understand that you you treat people with respect and you and you actually in, when you have these encounters and they have dangerous encounters let's don't kid ourselves they're out there and and there's a there there's some bad stuff that takes place out there too there's some bad actors let's don't you know let's don't sweep that under the rug so they they are fearful for their lives but we have to we have to help help them understand that if you act out of line then you're going to be held accountable and that's certainly a role that I've tried to play and our police commissioners tried to play to make sure that we have policies in place and you the Devon Brown uh, case has been mentioned several times I would remind everybody that that shooting that Devon Brown shooting the police commission, which at the time I was president, we found that shooting out of policy. Yeah, and I, and I also want to just quickly, because we're up against a hard break here, but John Mack, it was found out of policy, and, and it did bring a tremendous amount of pressure. It did bring some national attention and, and some hard looking at policies. Do you believe that people protesting, marching, and having meetings helps you do your work, makes oh, a difference. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, no, I, I absolutely believe, Dominic, I think it's important. Matter of fact, I would like to see more of you come to our police commissions. And number one, to, to see and hear what we're talking about, and also to, to, we have a public comment period where you can express yourselves, your issues, your concerns. Uh, there's no question about it, Dominique. I think it's important for, at all levels, for pressure to be brought. But I would get back to Connie's point. We need to also, yeah, let's, let's, let's be emotional. But, you know, we can get mad, but we've got to get smart, too. It's not just about coming down to raise hell. You, maybe that's appropriate, but also it's important to have some specific ideas and, and, and changes, for changes that you'd like to see made. Strategies yes. and, and information, right? Yes. Uh, Connie, real quick, because we're up against the break here. Real quick. Uh, being mad is fine. <laughs> I don't think that there would have been, the, without the pressure, without the marching, without the social networking, without the public response, we wouldn't be seeing the investigations that we're seeing right now. Right. But, but, but... Here's the clincher. Here's the clincher. 
In the civil rights movement, we knew when to surge and we knew when to dial back. Yep. Now that you've got the investigations, let the, the state's attorney, let the Department of Justice, let the grand jury do its work. Because what Mrs. Martin knows, she has the support of a lot of white America, Latino America. This isn't just African-American concern. If we keep banging the drum and, and marching and so forth during the investigations, it can hamper the, what the prosecutors can do, as Prosecutor Grace will probably tell you. So, yes, did we need this voice and did we need this outcry and the outrage? Yes. But now what Mrs. Martin is saying is let's let justice proceed, let's concentrate on the investigations. And then I think that there are some more specifics that we can go into as to what proactively we can do with our cops and with our community to make sure this is reduced in the future. All that is coming up. We are live at the Faithful Central Tabernacle in the city of Inglewood. You're welcome to join us. It's at 321 North Eucalyptus Street. Black men standing our ground. Justice for Trayvon Martin. Live. We'll be here till 11 o'clock in the morning. Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. The KJLH Gospel Sunday Brunch has become the best brunch in the Southland. We would like to thank all of you for making the historic brunch the landmark of soul-filling satisfaction and success. You have witnessed the beginning of a really big event. Thanks to all of the choirs, bands, and acts who have blessed us with their ministry. The KJLH Gospel Sunday Brunch will return Sunday, April 15th. We're taking our spring break to prepare for an amazing season we have planned for you. The KJLH Gospel Sunday Brunch is a celebration of kindness, joy, love, and happiness. Come celebrate your birthday, anniversary, retirement, and more when we return Sunday, April 15th. That's when we'll spotlight the voices of Watts Choir from the Tree of Life Baptist Church, the Rita Shelby, the dance ministry of Chanel Green, the comedian Derek Ellis, and featuring the debut of the Radio Free KJLH Performance Choir. If you would like your choir to participate in the KJLH Gospel Sunday Brunch, log on to KJLHradio.com. It's a great fundraiser for your church choir. See you Sunday, April 15th, when we return from our spring break. Is bad credit, lack of a down payment, making it hard to get a car loan? At Finance Auto Sales, you can finance a car today and pay your down payment as you get paid. Bad credit, no credit, repos, bankruptcy, foreclosures, and charge-offs. At Finance Auto Sales, it doesn't matter. They are the bank. You buy there, you pay there. They give you a second chance. They finance all income, AFDC, Social Security, retirement, unemployment, and a job. They will finance you. Call 310-644-4222. Over 500 cars in the heart of Hawthorne City. I'm talking Benz, Beamer, Chargers. They will even loan you money if you have a title on your car. Why pawn your car when you can trade it in for a car 2005 or newer? Come in today. Drive now and bring your down payment later when you get your income tax. They work with people. They don't care about your score of credit. Besides, who has good credit anyway? Finance Auto Sales carries their own contract and they never say no. They can finance you 100% guaranteed on the corner of Prairie Ave and Imperial Highway. Get your credit approval over the phone today. 310-644-4222. 310-644-4222. Or log on to financeautosales.com. Music like I heard it through the grapevine. Intertwine our daily lives and refresh our memories. Join KJLH's role in Bynum 6 to 10 a.m. Saturdays for a musical salute to songwriters. Sponsored by Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles and Pitbull Energy Drink. Every drink refreshing. No after. Through May 5th, we highlight Hall of Fame songwriter Norman Whitfield, who 
signature song, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, was recorded by the Miracles, Gladys Knight LaPitt, Marvin Gaye, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Roger Troutman, Tina Turner, Elton John, Michael McDonald, and the California Razors, with the song to soon be accorded a star on the Las Vegas Walk of Fame. This Norman Whitfield, I Heard It Through the Grapevine salute, brought to you in part by Dwayne Moody, CEO Imagine That Entertainment, and Event Management LTD, Sterling McPherson Promotions Inc. Emmett Till, Sean Bell, Troy Davis, Devin Brown, Abadou Diallo, Oscar Grant, Trayvon Martin, and now Kendrick McDade. Time now for black men to stand their ground. I want to see you at the town hall meeting at the Tabernacle at Faithful Central Bible Church. Hi, this is Pastor Logan, co-moderator of the second hour of the KJLH town hall meeting this Saturday, March 31st, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Faithful Central Bible Church in Inglewood, California. Come in person or hear it live at Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. Let's not just talk about it, let's be about it. We've got to stop the list from growing. I don't know who called open season on black men, but it's time for black men to stand their ground. Stand with me, Pastor Lewis Logan, to be there and be about it. Don't miss the KJLH Town Hall Meeting. Black men standing our ground, just as for Trayvon. This Saturday, March 31st, 8 to 11 a.m. at Faithful Central Bible Church, 321 North Eucalyptus in Inglewood. Be there or hear it live, live. on Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. Black men standing our ground. Justice for Trayvon Martin. We are live at the Faithful Central Bible Church in the Tabernacle. That is in Inglewood at 321 North Eucalyptus. We'll be here broadcasting live all the way up until 11 a.m. Minister Tony Muhammad and Pastor Louis Logan standing by. We'll be taking your calls. We'll be taking your comments in the coming two hours. We have a distinguished panel on the stage at the moment, and we want to uh, finish up. With, we're talking about Trayvon Martin, the case of Trayvon Martin in Sanford, Florida, which has sparked protests and re-examining of profiling and racial issues nationwide. We're also talking about how it impacts us here and what we can do. And I want to ask um, uh, Robert Grace just quickly, because we're in our, our, our moments here, what should be happening next with Trayvon Martin? We've seen a smear campaign started in the media, uh, you know, against Trayvon, a, a dead child, uh, and, we, and we have seen... The family coming out and kind of the family of Zimmerman coming out in the press and seemingly trying their case in the media. But then we've seen the tape from the police station, which doesn't seem to show Zimmerman with any blood or any injuries or anything anywhere. And so it seems like it is being tried in the media. But what should be happening next as we as we dial back and let justice take its course? What should we be looking for? What you want to look for is. Uh a complete investigation, as I said earlier. So that means, uh, as Connie Rice alluded to, dialing back a little bit and let the politicism die down because you don't want witnesses tailoring what they have to say based upon what they've been hearing in the news media. So, for example, you don't want witnesses saying, well, I saw um, Martin on top of Zimmerman because they've been hearing in the, the media that we've got to set up a situation where Zimmerman had a right to do what he did. Because he's claiming self-defense, or it seems that that's what he's right. claiming. Right, and, and Connie Rice alluded to this earlier. The Florida law doesn't say that you can be the aggressor 
and take advantage of this down-near-ground law. Everybody should know that. In the, in the 22 states that have this particular law, nobody said, none of those laws say that you can go after somebody with a gun and then claim self-defense. You can't do that. Um, but in this particular case, we've got to look for a lot of things, and it's all got to be done in a thorough investigation. What does the coroner's report say? Well, just really quickly, because I know we're tight on time. You talk about a thorough investigation. There was no, he wasn't, Zimmerman was not tested to see whether he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. His clothes were not taken. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it seems like in some of these things, it's going to be too late for a thorough investigation. Yeah. They and, did a toxicology on the, on the child, but not on, on the perpetrator. Uh, it just, how do, you do, how do you get a thorough investigation in that kind of a case? The, the state attorney general's office promised that they were going to go back and do a step-by-step -step investigation. And so a lot, you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of things that should have been done on the scene and in the days after were never done. For example, they never talked to or got the cell records of uh, Trayvon Martin immediately to find out who he was talking to at the time and therefore missed the fact that he was on the phone with his girlfriend at the time that the incident occurred. And did not apparently. interview her. And yeah. did not in and so, on and on it goes. So you, you really have to um, keep up the pressure in terms of making sure that the state attorney's off general, general's office does a thorough investigation and then proceeds to a grand jury, put people under oath, and then you're going to find out exactly what occurred. Not only in terms of this investigation, Investigation, but I would like to see what did the Sanford police do? Well, because that's what you're talking about really in terms of procedure. If they didn't do things uh, properly in terms of their investigation, then the state of Florida needs to be looking at that police department really and quick, why they don't do but things. But two really quick questions. The Sanford police wanted to charge Zimmerman, and the state attorneys were the ones that denied that, number one. Number two, the NAACP in Jacksonville has said, said last Friday that the state attorney, Angela Corey, has been a big supporter of Standard Ground, that she's famous for prosecuting minors, especially black children. So that's where it comes to how do you, do we have to rely on the feds here? I mean, no, well, that's, that's, there's two things going on here, and, and I'm sure the other panelists will yeah, speak to this. Is, is one is the people in the state of Florida need to know that their local people are going to be on top of this because if they do not, you can't run to the federal government every time somebody gets killed in a local jurisdiction. They, the people of Sanford, Florida, need to know that the police department works for everybody in okay. that city. Okay, Rice, your, your take on this? I, I agree with everything that Prosecutor Grace uh, just said. In addition, understand there's plenty of evidence to be collected even though the local local cops completely messed up they didn't collect the shoes they didn't do the test they didn't you know but on the other hand we don't know exactly what happened in that police station so let's let that investigation go forward now the state's attorney let me say this the reason that you're not that Dominique's very justifiable objections to the bias in the local police, they're probably not going to play out the way they thought they were going to play out because of the protests and the national attention. I think the game has changed because the public uproar and because of the Martin family's very smart strategy of saying I want justice, I'm insisting on an investigation. Now real quick, real quick, real quick. the arrest will come. You want the arrest after you've got the facts. 
Okay? Let, they're getting the facts now. So let it play out a little. There'll be plenty of time if the, if the wrong result gets, gets done and justice is not done. You can then, we can then resume. Okay? No justice, no peace. But right now, let the legal process go forward. Well, if you don't, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you don't, if you don't, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're then going to take the place as the vigilantes and we'll turn the tide of public opinion against us. But that's absolutely... You don't have to like it. That's the way it will go. There are a lot of things that we can do. Number one, there are a lot of things that we can do other than be angry. We have got a lot more training to do with our cops. Community policing, when the cops know the folks in the community, you reduce the chance of our kids getting shot. When you do the stuff, when Brian Dunn said, put your hands up and be polite, he wasn't joking. We have to teach our kids how to survive. We also have to make the community understand, look folks, let's not just get angry about this shooting. Let's get angry, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's get strategic and smart about the fact. Listen to this fact. Can you please let me finish? Listen to this fact. We have 6,000 unsolved murders in South Bureau. 6,000. We used to have 8,000, so they're making progress. We need to be upset, just as upset on black on black killing as we are on this killing. Attorney Dunn, you know, what, what do we look for? And I want to ask uh, John Mack also if he'll comment uh, on some changes in policy that have happened and changes we like to see. We're talking about police officers because many times that's where these situations occur. This particular person was a wannabe neighborhood watch. Don't these people have background checks? He's got, he's got domestic violence cases. He's got assault against a police officer. How is this guy on a neighborhood watch? You know, um... So I guess there's three questions there. You want to start, Attorney Dunn? Well, I think that what you have uh, with, with Zimmerman is this is a guy that, uh, neighborhood watch aside, he shouldn't have been walking around with a gun. I mean, an unstable individual, okay, with a gun is an accident waiting to happen. And when you have a law such as the Stand Your Ground law, it essentially gives an individual, a private citizen, the legal authority uh, to uh, shoot and kill someone and then later claim uh, that he's acting in self-defense. If you've seen as many officer-involved shootings as I have seen, what you see most of the time is there's really only one surviving witness and it's the one that killed the other person. Uh, the victim never has an opportunity to tell his side of the story. So what you have uh, with, with Zimmerman is an individual who, as Ms. Rice has said, attacked, confronted, pursued, and then later had what we know as a pretextual, self-serving uh, version of events. And we see that with law enforcement all too often. 
because what happens is, as I indicated, uh, you've got a shooting in a dark place, usually at night. An individual that's killed may have a criminal record, may not, but you'll never get to hear his, his side of the story. Attorney Dunn, we're up against the clock here. Um, I, I do want to say that, you know, right now the tide of public opinion is in the favor of Trayvon Martin and his family. And I think it's important that it stays that way because it is across the board and it is creating pressure. And that's why there's a smear campaign. And that's why CNN keeps talking about, you know, bounties and, and crap like that. As long as we follow the example of Trayvon's mother and take the high ground while maintaining constant vigilant pressure, we maintain the upper hand in getting justice. I absolutely agree with Connie Rice. I want to ask John Mack, you wanted to point out some changes that came from Devin Brown, some changes in our own policy. I would like to see background checks for all neighborhood watch. We know they're not supposed to carry guns, but what about, lo you said there's some local things that have come out of these type of situations that point right. yes. to progress. Yes, uh, I, I would just remind us uh, briefly, that if we do take action, intelligent action, you know, Connie makes a good point. It's all right. It's, it, it's understandable that we get emotional around issues like this. But the important thing is that we be strategic and we be smart. Let me give you a couple of real examples of change that took place within the Los Angeles Police Department due to well-organized, effective pressure. Some of you may remember the Stanley Miller flashlight beating incident. Stan, where Stanley Miller, a black man, was, was beat, hit in the head, beaten by, by a, a, a police officer, a LAPD officer, with a flashlight, a big flashlight, that, which should have been used just to illuminate so they can see what, where they're going and what they're doing as opposed to using it as a weapon. As a result of constant pressure that was applied by a, a, a number of us, including people in this audience, the police commission and the chief ultimately changed the policy so that the flashlight now is much smaller. It's something you can hold in your hand, and so you can turn the light on so if they're in a dark place, they can see where they're going rather than using it to beat somebody over the head. That's a direct result of pressure that was applied, consistent and intelligent pressure. The Devin Brown case also brought a, ch a change and, in policy. And, 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 the, and the, uh, the Devin Brown incident that has been talked about. You remember the vehicle was moving back as a result of our decision, number one, to find out a policy, but beyond that, as a result of constant, persistent pressure that came from the community along with the, the uh, police commission itself, now the policy is that a moving vehicle can no longer be viewed as a, a weapon. You know, uh, cops are now instructed to get out of the way of the car rather than pull out your gun and shoot inside the car. So, you know, folk... And I know some of you, you know, got a little uptight and, and were yelling and, and back at giving Connie some pushback, but she makes an important point. We, we, it's important that we know when to hold, know when to fold. Apply pressure, but know when you've got a victory on, on, and two. So I would just say, in conclusion, it's important for all of us to remain engaged involved 
and participate in an effective and intelligent manner, and we can ultimately, I think, achieve the goals that we all seek. Well, it's time that Connie, you also mentioned that now they're looking at possibly teaching the incoming officers some of this history, um, like the Devin Brown case, so that we can try to keep history from repeating itself. That's something you're working on, right, with the police department? Yes. Okay, we have to go to our next chapter. We're happy to go to our next chapter. Um, coming to the podium now, we have Minister Tony Muhammad and, uh, the, uh, from the Nation of Islam and Pastor Louis Logan um, from the Real uh, Church, who have also been active on these issues. They'll be leading us in a discussion on solutions. I want to thank our panel, John Mack from the L.A. Police Commission, Attorney Brian Dunn from the Cochran Firm, Connie Rice from the Advancement Project, Attorney Connie Rice, and Bobby Grace, Jr., Deputy District Attorney. We will continue. We will continue pushing back. We will continue with information and solutions. Black men standing our ground. Justice for Trayvon Martin live from the Faithful Central Bible Church, 321 North Eucalyptus Street in the city of Inglewood. We'll be here live until 11 o'clock. It is Radio Free, 102.3 KJL. Welcome back to KJLH 102.3. Make some noise in the house. Make some noise in the house. In Los Angeles, Long Beach, and Inglewood. Welcome back to the town hall meeting. This town hall meeting is called Black Men Standing Our Ground. That's right. But I kind of want to give a subtitle to that, that not only will we be standing our ground, but it's time for a movement. That's right. In fact, it's nation time. So welcome back. This is your host, Brother Tony Muhammad, here with my brother and sidekick and partner who have helped to make a lot of changes in this city as a result of you asking us to serve you. And I think that's what's wrong too much. We don't ask the people what they want. That's right. We try to impose on the people our that's own right. ideas, and we need to get in line with your spirit and your ideas and allow us to renegotiate a new future that's right. on how we do business. Mr. So, Tony, I'm thankful to be here with you, and I'm thankful that we have been partners over the years. We want to give props especially to Almighty God. Let's give it up for God. Let's give it up for God. Let's give it up for... Brother Stevie Wonder and KJLH. Let's give it up for Bishop Kenneth C. Alma and the Faithful Central family. And let's give it up for all of the fathers and mothers who brought your sons and your daughters today. Give it up for our community. In the light, in the light and in the presence of death, we are in life. And then we are who are we who are alive have the opportunity to speak truth to power, to speak life in the presence of death. We've experienced death. We just want to take just a moment, just to thank God for this moment, because this is pregnant possibility, and you are here because you sense the need of this hour. We greet everyone who's listening over KJLH. Compton, Los Angeles, and Long Beach, and Inglewood, Radio Free, and we greet each of you who are here this morning. And if we might, in the memory of Devin Brown, in the memory of Trayvon Martin, in the memory of Kendrick McDade, take a moment of silence and a moment to pray as we proceed to make it happen. And we pray. 
or Bo Taylor, Big Ship, Leon, all of the American family, that great program that teaches life skills and teaches men how to, how to go from predator to peacemaker. The power of that program. And Jim and Harry Belafonte had joined forces. And there were 60 or so of these African-American men who had made that journey to Peacemaker, waiting on Harry Belafonte to come. Harry came into Jim's beautiful house. They were all waiting for him. And he stood before them. And he said the following. He was shaking with rage because of what he had seen wall-to-wall black men in cages. He looked at that room full of powerful black men and he said to them, how dare you? How dare you put yourself back into chains when it took us 300 years to free ourselves? the civil rights revolution Dr. King Paul Robeson Rosa Parks none of us ever ever gave our oppressor what he needed to oppress us if he needed us to ride in buses where we had to ride in the back we boycotted if he needed our violent anger we met him with non-violent resistance. If he, needed, if he needed our submission, we met him with dignified resistance that was non-violent. We never gave our oppressor what he needed to oppress us. And what are you doing here? You are giving them the license to lock you up. What about the power of African-American community and African-American men standing up and saying, not another one of us. You don't get to arrest us. You don't get to send us away. The room was dead silent. Here, the civil rights icon was telling his male children, his sons, do not give them what they need for this mass incarceration juggernaut. And Harry said finally, and what is it that they need? They need to put you in jail right now? What do they need? Sometimes they don't need anything. But more often than not, they need two things that we are giving them and that we can do something about. We are giving them criminal behavior and stupidity. Let me, uh... Thank you so much for sharing the reality that we have within our own hands the capacity to change our today and our tomorrow. It's in our hands, and that's why you're here today. As we get ready to proceed and introduce our panelists, I also want to encourage those of you who are here to please sign in the sign-up sheet because we're not just coming for a town hall meeting today. 
but we are continuing in a movement and in a conversation which requires that we be able to contact you. So would you please put your correct information? We are not the FBI. We are family. We just want to be able to get in touch with you. Your name, your email address, your Facebook, whatever that is, and we want to be able to contact you. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. Okay, always also sitting on the panel with us, we want to give big thanks. All too often in the entertainment community, many of our entertainments or entertainers don't support us in a lot of calls. Some do. But today, this sister saw fit not just to talk, but she showed up. That's it. She is one of our foremost rappers that we've ever seen on this planet, an activist, a sister, a soldier, a mother, a lady, a leader, a woman, and a warrior. Let's give hands for Sister Yo-Yo. She's with us today, L.A.'s own rapper. Oh, y'all could do better than that. Thank you. She's one of our panelists. And at this time, we want to hear from Sister Yo-Yo. Praise God. It is always good to be here and to uh, represent my community. I stand here as a leader, as a mother, as uh, the frontier of this generation. And uh, because this, this matter has has always, uh, this matter has really got my attention. I've always been in the community, concerned about our community, fighting for our community, working with our kids, uh, a sister to, to the mothers, uh, a sister to the brothers. So it's always a pleasure to stand before you to encourage our community to wake up and get involved. Talk a good game, but you never back it up. Mm. I was hoping today to see more of our young policies, the practices and procedures, because we filled up rooms like this. We went to a police commission meeting and they tried to put us in some small room. But there were so many of us and we were so strong, they had to open up and put us in a larger room. And we spoke truth to power. And we determined we weren't going anywhere and we weren't going to stand down until they changed how they operated. That's what needs to happen today. It's the same thing that Michelle Alexander chronicles in her book. It's time to go to a break. In her book, The New Jim Crow. She talks about how an environment is created through the passage of various laws that codify the dehumanization and devaluation of people of color, black people in particular. And how we've got to recognize that the laws that have been put in place, the tax codes and the, and the budgets in the, state, in the state budgets that funnel money not into education, but into incarceration that do studies that create a pipeline from the schools to the prisons. But that's a job that's placed on us. What we do about it is our responsibility. As I tell my sons, you cannot control what happens to you, but you they're going to show meta control how you respond to it. And so that's what this is about. Figuring out how we respond to what has happened. In a few moments, we're going to be blessed by hearing from the family of one of our recent sons, our recent kings who's fallen in Pasadena, another family, among other nameless families, suffering the tragic 
killing and murder, senseless murder, of another king, a young man. And I would purport that shooting this brother eight times sounds to me like something out of policy that needs to be corrected, but will only be corrected if you and I determine that we are not going to go home and go to sleep, but we're going to raise our voices strategically and proactively until change comes. Brothers and sisters, for those that are listening um, on the radio, you can call in right now to KJLH and let your voice be heard. That number is 520-5554. That's 520-5554. 310-520-5554. Brothers and sisters, before um, we continue... I just want to say that we have to temper everything with balance. There's one thing that we may want the people to do, but there may be another spirit moving from God. And the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan said that justice better be done by those in positions of authority before God moves the people to take justice in their own hands. He said Jesus said it like this, a man who killed by the sword shall be killed by that same sword he is using. And he said that our youth, this generation, is not like their parents. They didn't come here to gingerfets and bow. They are ready to take action, and that's why those of us in leadership better harness that energy and show them how to do this in a systematic way that produces the right change. So I'm glad you're here, and I believe we can shine a light from Los Angeles that can be seen around the world. While we go after white supremacist minds like Mr. Zimmerman, I'm saying let's unite the forces of Bloods and Crips and get them to come together under this mighty movement and show them a better way as well. So that's what we're here for. We've got to come up with some solutions, and we want to hear from you. What do you want us to do? What do you want to see? What do you want us to do? This is how, if I may, Minister Tony, and let me uh, give props to Attorney Constance Rice. She departs. Won't you give her a hand? And won't you also let me welcome to our discussion brother, Big Brother Cedric Watkins II, uh, who is the managing partner of Watkins Group and Associates LLC, brings an abundance of legal knowledge and local, and, legal, and local economic experience as a business owner for over 25 years serving the Los Angeles community with a large contingent of satisfied clients. He is a motivational and prominent speaker in form, and he is a leader in our community who is a part of 100 Black Men. So won't you give him, give him a hand, please? as he comes to the mic. Good morning. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Praise the Lord. It's important, uh, I represent the 100 black men of Los Angeles today. Um, our president, George Walker, is in North Carolina, and he asked me as the first vice president and incoming president to speak on behalf of the 100. Um, this is a very, very uh, touchy topic that, as my old law professor used to say, that cannot be ignored. That's it. Cannot be ignored. As the incoming president of the 100 Black Man, it's so important 
that we continue to push young black scholars and our topics that we've had since 1961, Dr. Bill Haling, who founded the 100 Black Men, and we have 46 chapters across the country, is mentoring, education, mm -hmm. empowerment, yep. and economic development for young black men. We give over $5,000 30 times a year to young black men and young black women to go to college. The 100 Black Man serves the purpose here in Los Angeles of taking the doctors, the lawyers, the businessmen of Los Angeles and making sure that we give something back. It's very easy to say, I got mine, I'll go get yours. That's it. And then we get a situation like we have with Brother Martin, who's passed away. And unfortunately, we have to say, we need to have justice. It cannot be just us. <laughs> And mentoring young black men as the father of three children myself and of a young black man who has been stopped and has been asked to lay on the ground, I fear for my son's life many a day. And so it's important that we as the community and as people of color around the country unite to say no more. Um, first of all, good morning, Brother Mohammed. Good morning, your brother. Thank you for coming. Thank yes. you for being Happy with us. Happy to be here. What we would hope is to see strong organizations like the 100 Black Men coming together. Absolutely. See what has to happen. Jesus said it like this: There's a coat and an ass tied together <laughs> to a same system that is oppressing them. Yep. And the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan said to me that the coat represents the most intelligent people among that species, or it represents the intelligent class of black people. He said that the donkey or the ass represents the masses of our people who may not have good education, who may not have good decision making, but the Lord said, I have need for both of them. And so now we got to take our intellectuals and we just can't look after the child that makes the A. What about Nuck Nuck who made the D? That's it. Because he's not a That's the one either. that we're going to lose That's to the it. system. That's it. And so therefore to have the 100 black men here, the nation and the Panthers and the NAACP, I'm telling you all, we now got to go on a movement and I'm going on a tour. I'm going to tour every hood in L.A. Yeah. between now and yeah. the end of this year to get an army of black men that is ready for service. Let's make it happen. How many of you would like to see us go on tour, go to every hood, blood and crib, and bring them into this movement? That's it. All right, then that's what we're going to do. So this is the power of our effort of listening to you because you've been listening to us one of the things that we experienced in Community Call to Action was the fact that we opened the mic and listened to the community. And the community gave us two priorities because we believe that change and revolution happens from the ground up. That leadership That's has right. to take its cues, has to take its mission and its purpose from the community. That's right. Anybody who would represent us must have our agenda at the forefront of their agenda. And so we want to hear from you. Now listen very carefully. We only have limited time. And we got preachers in the house. We don't want the whole sermon. 
We just need you in 60 seconds to cut it to the chase. Tell us, here's the question. What do you want to see happen? Because if you determine and depict what you want to see happen, that helps to set our agenda. Now, listen, this is what we're going to do. we got to go to break. Then when we come back, we'll go to our community. We are Radio Free, 102.3, L.A., Compton, Long Beach, and Inglewood. Inglewood. <laughs> Ladies, it's time to take charge of your life by eating better, exercising, and losing those extra pounds so you can have more energy. Find out how to tackle diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and avoid strokes, lessen your risk for cancer, relieve menopause symptoms, and more. Get your spine checked and get a soothing foot detox. Register today and you can win a 42-inch flat screen TV. It's an exciting day on a wonderful journey to changing your life. And here's a special invitation for you to join us on the road to health. Hey, this is Mary J. Blige inviting you to the 12th annual KJLA Women's Health Forum at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Make sure you register today for a day of education, empowerment, relaxation, and fun. Enjoy a panel discussion and live radio broadcast, workshops, exercise, classes, free health screening, free massages, trip and prize giveaways, fashion shows, vendor area, healthy food samples, and so much more. Gather your girlfriends and continue the journey on Saturday, April 28th, starting at 8 a.m. Ladies, it's something you don't want to miss. Visit KJLHradio.com and start living now. KJLH. Radio Free KJLH Black Men Standing Our Ground with our esteemed host minister Tony Muhammad and Reverend Lewis Logan. We are right now live at Faithful Central Bible Church right here in Inglewood. And you asked me to go to the calls, and I think I call a drop, so we'll do this. We'll go right back to our host at uh, uh, Faithful Central Bible Church. Good morning to you. Thank you so much, brother. God bless you. Let's go back to Mother, who was speaking just a moment ago. Yes, ma'am. We're talking about parenting. Okay, good morning to everybody. But my name is Rose Johnson Brown, and I've been on this road a really long time, most of my life. And all I want the men to do is just stand up because there was a time when men would stand up. Be our heads. Be out there. Give us solutions. The solutions are put out the information. Give us addresses. Do you know there's a lot of people that don't even know this meeting is taking place today? And then I'm turning my eyes over here to this thing right here. When I heard about Trayvon, but it's not only Trayvon. This is happening all over. That's right. And these people do not have equality. I'm asking that don't let it just be Trayvon that got us out of the street. Thank you, Mother. That every person... We get represented. We got you. Thank you. Thank you. So Thank, you. Thank you, Mom. The Watkins has a word, and we're going back to our floor. As an answer to that, sister, uh, the 100 black men of Los Angeles, we currently every Friday go out to seven different middle schools and elementary schools, and we pull the absolute so-called worst young black man out of the class, and we spend an hour and a half with them, and many of these young black men don't have a father in the home. And because they don't have a father in the home, to see us come in suited and booted and telling them exactly what they can and cannot do is extremely important, especially from the standpoint of their behavior changed almost 90% when we come there on Friday and have lunch with them for an hour. And what one young brother told us was that, um, what are your goals in life? 
and his goals, he said he had none. He wants to burn the school down. And now that young brother is saying, I want to go to school. I want to go to college. I want to do some things that are positive. So it's making a difference, and we're about to spread this through 28 other middle schools here in Los Angeles to try to get a change for these young black men. Otherwise, there would be no hope. Okay. Let me... Let me uh Thank you, dear brother, for that. Also, for those that want to get involved in this whole thing of bringing peace among our brothers, every Wednesday night there's a group that I'm very fond of and I love what they do. It is a group called Cease Fire. That's right. Every Wednesday at 6 p.m. they're meeting at Bethel AME Church. We have Vicki Lindsay, Brother Taco, Mm -hmm. Brother Skip. Mm -hmm. These brothers and sisters have been doing this for years. You have mothers who have lost their children to violence. They're there. Brothers, we got to step up. So that's one thing you can do right now. Go to that meeting every Wednesday and get your march in order. 630 Bethel AME Church, 79th and Western. Let me ask Brother Watkins if it's possible to produce and to publicize the schools that you will be going to so that perhaps other brothers can meet and work and walk with you as you go to those various schools. Is that possible? Um, Yes, it is possible. What we've had to do is get a security check since we're around young black men, and many people in our group who are firemen, police officers, um, attorneys, doctors, dentists, right. trash men, have gotten gotten a security check yes. to make sure that there's no issues when All we're right. taking a young black All man right. out of class for an hour right. and having lunch with him, bringing him some pizza, and saying right. things can change. Okay. So Thank here's you. a solution for those who want to get involved. You don't have to be a father, even if you're not a parent, but you have a few moments on a Friday. You can make time to see Brother Watkins, put your name on the list as we blast through KGLH.com and as you connect with KGLH and as we do the blast of information, you can find out how you can get connected and get involved. Let's go to the mics on the floor. Right here, my, my brother. I think we start on this side. Okay, money. 60 seconds. First, I want to give honor to Almighty God, who's the orator of my life. I want to thank KJLH, and it's wonderful to see our community out here That's today. Right. That's it. I'm Morris Griffin, better known as Big Money Griff. And, and Minister Tony, it's time for us to say, look, we have got to bring about a change with Stand Your Ground. That's so it. what I'm asking you to do mm-hmm. is to see whether or not we can begin to revise and change that law. That's it. Why? Because that law has shown us beyond a doubt that it's wrong for Stanford Police Department to arrest an assailant after they lie. Now, all I'm suggesting is that we have to show contamination, corruption, conspiracy, and cover-up. And there's not one person in this, wor- in this room that can't speak to any one of those four C's. So what I'm saying, in essence, is that it's time for us to show how we are going to bring about change, nationally speaking, for Stand Your Ground Law. Right. Thanks for your Thank time. You that's all of my time. Thank Thank you. Money, you. Thank you. It's too late to now, come down. That's We're right. here till 11 o'clock, so if you're listening and you, you want to be a part of it, come on down. It's not too late. Absolutely. Not only that, I want the radio listening audience to know that this big audience that's in front of us have given us the charge that those of you who are listening on the air, we're going to come back through KJLH 
and let you know where this movement will meet next time. the things that we're going to get done so those of you who are listening keep your ear to That's KJLH right. 102.3 and we're getting ready to start a movement in and Los those Angeles of you who are here, make sure if you have not signed up yet make sure you sign up before you leave and let me do this just really quickly and this kind of piggybacks on what uh, brother Big Money Griff just mentioned about the Stand Your Ground Law the Stand Your Ground Law has as it were a beginning it began with a particular think tank that came out of the National Rifle Association and an organization called ALEC, the American uh, Legislative Exchange Council. ALEC is a multi-billion dollar uh, organization funded by the Koch brothers, a conservative couple of brothers, billionaires, who fund a ongoing engine of uh, legal Develop or law, de development of laws. They recruit legislators, Republican and so-called conservative Democrats, and they tell them what they want to be on the docket for Congress. So you've got rich folk moving through an organization that codifies laws that they want on the books. Now here's something nefarious you may not know. What happened in Arizona as it relates to the law that encouraged the incarceration and the profiling of immigrant, immigrant brothers and sisters was not so much about incarcerating immigrant brothers and sisters as much it was, as it was about ensuring that there was a constant stream of folk in the prisons and jails that the corporations own. They keep you in jail because they need the contracts. Your bodies in prison mean that they have, the prison industry continues to make billions of dollars. And so the law supports the actions, and that's why we gotta, we got to control the laws. Let's go to, to the lines. Go back to the, to the lines. lines. Thank you. Just wanted to put that information out there. We're in the middle. And right here. Just Whoa, keep to my right. Yes, ma'am. My name is Chanel Temple, and I represent Blacks for Equal Rights Coalition here in Los Angeles. I just want to say we've been going around to the black representative office for months. We even left a survey that they did not answer. We really feel that the black community is not at this time being represented properly by our black politicians. Okay. I also have a suggestion. They have what's called a special order 40 law out there. Why can't blacks have a special order 50 law? Okay. Thank There's you. a special order law out there to stop a certain class of people. I mean, that they cannot be touched. We need that law for the black community. Thank you. Thank you so much. Beautiful. In the middle aisle.